Yeah, oh, cool. And the results of the presidential election are. Oh wait, sorry. Hey, everybody, how you doing? <laughs> Welcome to Disrupt TV. You're in the green room. I thought we'd have a little fun today. Uh, we're gonna do some quick introductions before we go live. Uh, we're gonna start with Daphne, and then we're gonna work our way to Aaron. So, so welcome. I'm Ray Wong with uh, Constellation Research, uh, co-founder of Disrupt TV. I'm here with my awesome co-host and our producer Elf Froze, and our awesome co-host Bala Ashar. Bala. Hi everyone. Bala Dalia here from Boston. Excellent. Daphne. Hi. What's up? Well, who are you calling in from and uh, what are we talking about today? Yeah, um, I'm calling in from um, the sunny city of Miami Beach, Florida. And uh, I am going to be talking to you guys about not hurricanes or anything like that, <laughs> but about, uh, you know, what it's what's happening on board of directors. I serve on several public boards. We talk a little about that, talk about diversity, talk about digital, talk about how do you use crisis as a catalyst for uh, innovation and change. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Craig, where are you calling in from and what are you talking about today? Yeah, well, hi. I'm, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm calling in from Denver, Colorado. As you can tell from the accent, you know, born and bred here in Denver. <laughs> it's in Colorado. It's in Colorado, so I know you're native. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm obviously from Australia originally. And today I'm talking about Sugar CRM and, and CX more broadly and, and uh, an exciting acquisition that we've done very recently. Very, very cool. Sure. And then Aaron. Hi, Ray. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm going to talk about UKG, the ultimate Kronos group, and about how we've merged two remarkable companies, Ultimate Software and Kronos, in the middle of a pandemic, believe it or not. 12,800 people around the world working from home and keeping the engine marching forward. <laughs> we've got our special co-host, Holger Mueller. Where are you dialing in from? Well, from my home place, right? I'm native Californian from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking accents here all right very very cool we're gonna start the show all yours l what do we do all right three two one hello and welcome thank you for joining us on a disrupt tv my name is bala after i'm the chief digital evangelist at salesforce and your co-host for the next hour we welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, Holger, myself, uh, and our distinguished guest your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, and his new book is coming out next year, Breaking News. He's often featured on Bloomberg News, Fox Business. Uh, you know, he's everywhere. And in my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. Vala's my awesome co-host, as you know. He's one of the top people to follow on Twitter. If you're CEO, CIO, CFO, even if you're a human on this planet, people look to Vala <laughs> for inspiration and innovation. Definitely catch him. He's also an author himself, and we're seeing him in tons of keynotes everywhere. So thanks for being on the show. Uh, we and then, of course, um, we've got our special co-host, Holger Mueller. Uh, he's our vice president and principal analyst covering a whole bunch of areas, including one of the topics today um, on human capital management, along with enterprise acceleration and the cloud. But before we begin, I want to thank our sponsors, Robots and Pencils. If you're looking for great development, especially in digital and mobile development, they're one of the top people to look at. So definitely take a look at them and thank you for your sponsorship. All right. So let's start the show. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege for us. Our first guest, Aaron Ains, CEO of UKG Ultimate Kronos Group. 
Aaron fiercely contend that there is a direct link between employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and business success. And he has proof, and frankly, I agree with him 100%. When he became CEO of Kronos in 2005, Aaron and team put a laser focus on employee engagement as a growth strategy and saw worldwide employee engagement score skyrocket as revenue nearly tripled to go beyond $1.5 billion. In April 2020, Kronos and Ultimate Software Group merged to become UKG. And Aaron was tapped to be the CEO and chairman of the combined company with over 12,000 employees and 3 billion in revenue. As a multi-year uh, multi recipient of Glassdoor's top CEO distinction, Aaron believes anything is possible when people are inspired and that great management is the single largest component that adds to shareholder value and company performance. Aaron's the author of Work Inspired, How to Build an Organization Where Everyone Loves to Work. Boy, do we need that now. Everybody read the book. You can follow Aaron on Twitter at A-A-A-R-O-N-A-I-N. Welcome, Aaron, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Bella. How are you? Good to be here. Thank you so much, sir. Hey, thanks for being on the show as well. I'm going to give Holger the first question, and we're just going to switch on and off. Holger, go ahead. He's Hey, Aaron, good to see you. Great to be there. And I think it's fascinating. I'm following you guys since seven plus year, how you guys have evolved from the specialists in workforce management, the, the Switzerland, everybody partners with Kronos, uh, and then do a lot of work on what Vala said before on employee engagement, other things. I mean, you've moved into a great uh, headquarter, the former Xerox building. I uh, would love to hear how like space and place changes the future of work of your employees. And you've done a number of leadership uh, things like, I want to hear from you, uh, when did you get rid of your office uh, and things like that. So we'd love to hear more from you. Yeah, so it's been an interesting six, seven months since we announced the merger on February 20th. The world seemed just perfect. And, and then um, between February 20th, when we closed on the merger of Ultimate Software and Kronos, on April 1st, a lot changed. And so um, it's taken all of the power of what you talked about, about creating a great place to work to make um, this all work. It's it's two remarkable companies that came together in the form of Kronos and Ultimate. It, and for example, in the great places to work for all in Fortune magazine that rates the best places to work in its 23-year history of doing the rankings, there's only been one time ever that two top 100 companies to work for have merged, and that was this year with Kronos and Ultimate. So we've been merging two companies with remarkable cultures, but different cultures into one while we've all been working from home and not being able to be together to do all the things you'd normally do when you're merging organizations. And in fact, our offices around the world are empty today and um, we're still doing product development, still doing implementation, still selling the product, still marketing away. We've just shifted to a new model that's um, virtual all in all the time. At the same time, working hard to protect our employees, and mm -hmm. and that's been my number one priority. Great. Yeah, um, you know when we think about this, right? I mean, going way back to like February, I mean that's a long time, right? And this is a merger of equals that you guys were talking about, getting the best of both worlds. How's that playing out, right? I mean, how are customers viewing this? 
Yeah, so far so good with customers getting really good feedback. I'm participating with a lot of customers. Look, Ultimate Software had an enviable reputation and position in the market as a leader in HCM and Chrono similarly in workforce management and the applications were siblings to each other. And so bringing them together really simplifies how um, our customers will think about it in, in that way. And we had a lot of overlap customers in terms of number of units, four, five, six hundred, but a very small number who were shared customers in terms of the number of actual customers that both organizations had. So it's opened up opportunities for our uh, joint customers now to consider each each other's products or these products of UKG for those Kronos Workforce Management customers, legacy ones to say, oh, should I look and consider the UltiPro platform and vice versa for the Kronos Workforce Management platform. And so, so far so good. I've done a lot of work on integrational work, a lot more to do. Um, really the sky's the limit. You know, actually, Aaron, you're like one of the biggest high-tech employers on the East Coast now. Think about it, between Boston and South Florida. I mean, it's a huge talent pool. Is that true? Um, it's, yeah. it's pretty yeah, big. 12, that's, that's, <laughs> so. a, that's a big number. That's a big number. Aaron, before I, before I joined Salesforce, I was a CMO of a public company. But prior to that, I was a CMO of a private company, about $400 million in annual revenue, and a competitor of about $300 million. So equal size, we merged. So we doubled overnight. And we went from being private uh, to becoming a public company. And I was tasked to rebrand the company as the CMO of the new entity. Yeah. And so, you know, two great cultures, but different cultures, two yeah. vision that were different, uh, mission, and obviously two CEOs. And ultimately, there was a lot of merger of equal size. Uh, your tagline, our purpose is people. I love it. Uh, talk about this whole branding exercise of two equals. And I know I went through it. This is not easy work. It's fulfilling work, it's joyful work, but it's not easy work. Tell us about branding this new entity and going to, uh, you know, two, uh, two incredible companies uh, uniting where one plus one equals three. Okay, so really good question. Thank you for that. So despite a lot of pressure and encouragement to pick a name as soon as we merged, I really didn't want to do that because I wanted to slow down a little bit and catch our breath about what was the right thing to do. And it's really, I'm glad we did that. And so we created a team of um, people, mainly within the marketing and the creative groups to understand how to think about it. We hired a world-class third-party branding um, company to help us think about it as well. And we interviewed customers, interviewed employees, mm -hmm. interviewed analysts, interviewed the world basically to say when they heard the name Kronos, what did they think about? And they heard the name Ultimate, what did they think about? Mm -hmm. And then we sat down and we thought about what we wanted our mission to be. We wanted to honor and not forget who we were, Kronos and Ultimate. We wanted to understand that it had a name and a brand in the marketplace, but we wanted to do something different. We didn't want it to be Ultimate Kronos or Kronos Ultimate, and we didn't want to pick a name that nobody had ever heard of, um, per se. So at the end of the day, we settled on um, UKG, Ultimate Kronos Group. Over time, we hope that Ultimate Kronos Group will be um, less talked about and UKG will be talked about. And then we also thought long and hard about the logo and the colors um, because they had an impact. And then we had to match it up with um, our purpose as people because for me, for us, everything starts with the people. Everything starts with the people. And so it sent a clear message that that's what our purpose is. And it's meant to cover dimensions of um, our purpose as people for the people who work for us. It's 
for the people who work for us and their families. It's for the people who work at our customers. It's for the partners who we support. So it's really meant to be very frontal about that. And it's how I live my life every day. But it was an interesting process like you described. And in the end, our employees have just loved the new name and they love the new logo and they love the colors. And it all goes together. Who would imagine that it's more than just the name? And it's more than just the tagline and it's more than just the logo and it's more than just the colors. It's all of it together. Sure. You're revealing your culture and you're revealing your passion for people and well done. Really well done. Thank you. Hey Aaron, I mean, at the end of the day, you're a software company, so right. And you've done something truly remarkable, which I've not seen in the software enterprises history ever. And I'm not sure we're going to see that, right? You managed to build the next generation of your product in complete secret without announcing it while I listen to, to how that happened, because there's so many announcements of people announcing something and they're never delivering, right? You did not announce it until you were at functional parity and had customers live, right? That's like unique, unheard of. Can you maybe share a little bit how you did that and what benefit that gives to end users, customers? Yeah, that's very rare. Your new Every, product? Everybody forward sells, so. Well, look, I saw all the organizations. Thank you for the question, by the way. I thought I saw a lot of companies through my career that did what you described. They talked about it before it was released. And, you know, we're a humble, thoughtful New England company that doesn't always walk around with our chest out, but kind of uh, says, you know, let's uh, prove who we are before we start talking about how great we are. So we decided to take an approach to do it quietly with this new platform. And the platform's mission really was, as as people know, is to put ourselves out of business, but do it to ourselves. Mm. And because um, we were thinking someone might try to do it to us. And so my mission through this process is three-year process of where we um, spent $150 million quietly, and we had 600 full-time people working on it quietly with design <laughs> partners happen? and customers. Like, we have 600 people work on it quietly. That's we like just didn't talk it. about it. <laughs> so our employees knew what we were location, doing. Right? You went to physical separation. In the beginning, we did. For the first year, we put people 20 miles away. We took our best and brightest and had them go work on it. And we also brought new people in from the outside because we didn't want people to be distracted. We wanted them to think like they were doing a startup. So no telephones, no offices, you know, use your cell phone. That's what startups do and share desks. That's what startups do and and um, rented a leased offices that someone else was subleasing to us. And so it really was young and hungry and exciting from that point of view. And, uh, and it's been an unbelievable success exceeding my expectations here. And um, we haven't had it out that long. We have hundreds of customers live and, and um, existing customers migrating to it, net new customers buying it. And so I think we've really hit a seam with it and I'm proud of what we've done. And most importantly, I'm proud of how we did it. So we didn't need to brag about it until we had something to brag about. And we didn't need to talk about it until we had something to talk about. Truly remarkable because achieving functional equivalency, right? I know Ron Wall, who used to be at Oracle, where Ray and me used to be, was one of your advisors and said one of the lessons learned of the whole fusion story was, was functional equivalency, right? And then going to a separate location with, if I remember right, one-third Cronites, as you call themselves, one-third fresh out of UMass Lowell, I guess now, and, and one-third one from the industry. And what's so powerful is the challenger model, right? Build right. something which a competition could do to blow us out of the water, right? So 
and you right, were the that's only what we did for yeah. a while. You know? I was that, worried. That I so was impressive. I was watching what other companies were doing in the market, and I watched how they were um, putting really successful other companies at risk. Look at Salesforce.com, what it did, right, Val? And, and how it put whoever were the leaders there at risk, and they were well-known, established companies. I didn't want someone to do that to us. So I was worried about that. And part of that was a function of me starting at Kronos when it was a startup. I'm not a founder. And the people who were the giants in our industry didn't pay attention to us and look what we did to them. So I'm always worried about that. And I always want to pay attention to everyone. I love that. I, that, that. I think all successful leaders have that healthy sense of paranoia, as Andy Grove of Intel said, you know, with, on, on a cover of Time magazine in 1986. I subscribe to that. And, and Aaron, you wrote a book, Work Inspired, Creating an Environment Where People Love Their Work. And you wrote that in 2018. And so many of those lessons are applicable now. But given this seismic event, the pandemic, and the fact that we overnight went to a, you know, a decentralized digital only work environment. Are there lessons, uh, is there a need to update your book as a result of pandemic? Or are there lessons in your book that are even more important in today's uh, world of uncertainty? Thank you for that. I think it's the latter, quite frankly. I think the lessons are more important. Look, I believe trust is the magic glue that holds together personal and professional relationships. There's a whole chapter on trust. When I ask people, they say, I love the book. I say, which chapter did you like the best? I say that chapter on trust. trust. I love yeah. that chapter on yeah. trust. And they love it because nobody talks about it enough mm. and nobody practices it enough. We get so much done today because I trust the people who work for us. I trust them to get their work done at home. I start all relationships by trusting people. People have to unearn my trust. I don't start by telling people that they have to earn my trust. And so we can do so much more. It liberates me as a manager. It liberates the people who work for me on the team because I trust them and they know that I trust them. And so that's why we've been able to work the way we have because we trust each other and we can do that. And then we over-communicate. I think communications is critically important. And so I'm doing videos. I just did my weekly video right before this to all 12,800 people, just wow. seven, eight minutes, one take. Sometimes I screw up, I fall down, I get up, I dust myself off, but I don't do it again. I keep recording because I tell the team that life only has one take. So why should mm. my videos have more than one take? <laughs> and so I think we try to be honest and open and That's authentic. The quote of the day. And so I think, yeah. Ray, Ray, the quote of the day is you have to unearn my trust. That was such a beautiful statement. No, really, really. It's such a massive distinction about, you know, seeing the good in people and Yes. Earning trust by giving it. That that was the quote of the day. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Aaron. Right. So remember, um, uh, when I say that, the most important part about um, starting relationships by trusting people is how it liberates us. If yeah. we don't trust people, we're looking over their shoulder all the time, then we're spending all this time looking over their shoulder. So it's just not trusting the person on the other end. It's important for us as leaders to extend our trust so we can be liberated. To do Love what that. we want to do. The whole just point, we can't do what we did with that that team 20 miles away unless I trust them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Trust them. And trust them. So I tell people all the time, I trust you. I, love I just regret I didn't give you guys a harder time 
And I was saying, you have 800 developers and that's all that you get out of there. You either are building something in secret, which you wear, or you have the lowest developer productivity ever, right? And every year I beat you up at Chronosworks and you guys are just smiling. So no, no, we're delivering the building. So no, I would good, tell good you. Job keeping the facade. I would tell you, I would say, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. You know oh, what I said to you about trust before so and honesty. <laughs> You gotta trust the analyst a little bit. I do. I do. But I think I do. trust is a great so. point, Aaron, because it's even more important than software, right? Like if I buy a car, I can test drive it. You but buy it. a TV, I can return it after 30 days, right? There's, yeah. Those industries, trust is important for everybody, but they need less trust than software, which you cannot see. Right? Yep. In the software as yeah. a service world, it's also a journey. I can see and test drive and select what it is today. But I know it needs to involve the best practice are changing. I need to make it a trusting partner who will take me on the journey to get the next generation best practices. So I think yep. it's even more important between the customer relationship and only works if the employee relationship is right. It's, it goes everywhere, Holger. I, I tell people all the time, it's the magic glue that holds together personal and professional relationships. And if more people would practice it, the world would be a better place. We'd all be a little bit more relaxed and um, yeah, I can go on and on about it. No, no. Hey, real quick, um, tell us what's happening at UKG Works. Uh, give us a sneak preview and then we got to pull out. Yep, thank you. So UKG Works is the um, replacement for Kronos Works, the uh, multi-thousand employee user conference every year. So we're going to do it virtually. First time we've done one this big like this. And uh, we're excited to go share the vision and the strategy of, of what UKG is all about. Certainly focused on our products, but just not focused on our products, focused on our, our services and our strategy and how we're thinking about the future. And um, the one thing I'll miss, as you've been with me at Chronosworks before, I spend so much time with our customers and try to listen mm -hmm. and learn from them. So we got to try to see how we can also get really good feedback. But I'm excited to see how it goes. I've talked to a lot of other companies that have delivered their conferences virtually. So um, I'm all in to see how it can be. And uh, um, we're not going to you know, surrender anything. No apologies. We're going to make it great. Now we're getting a lot of great comments on Twitter, on social media, as you see, we're popping them up. Aaron, you're a class act. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, of course, you know, people can catch you on Twitter. Um, we're here with Aaron Ain at A-R-O-N-A-I-N. And of course, he's the chairman and CEO of Ultimate Kronos Group, UKG. So hey, All right. thanks a lot for being on the show. Happy Thank Friday. Go oh, UKG. Everybody vote this year, please do that important yes. year. Yes, yes. Thank you, Aaron. Okay, guys. Bye. Thank you. Aaron. Be Terrific. safe. Take care of your families. Thank you so much. What a great, what a great CEO. In fact, we only invite great CEOs to uh, uh, disrupt TV, and our next guest is no exception in terms of roster of great CEOs that have appeared on Disrupt. Craig Charlton, CEO of Sugar CRM, as CEO, Craig leads all facets of the Sugar CRM business, from setting vision, strategy, direction to making the company. Uh, execute uh, in the best possible way uh, uh, at, at every level. Uh, Craig has been building and running high growth businesses for 25 years before joining Sugar CRM. He was CEO of OilDex, a financial automation software and service provider where he drove growth and oversaw the company's acquisition by drilling info. Uh, Craig uh, also served as CEO, CEO of Abila, the financial and CRM provider operating in association with nonprofits in the government space. Abila, which was acquired by community brands, grew its revenue threefolds and transformed its revenues based to a subscription-based SaaS model in a three-year period. 
You can follow all the work of Sugar CRM at Sugar CRM. Welcome, Craig, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, gentlemen. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Our thank pleasure. you so much for coming on the show. I mean, this is you just came on board. I mean, just recently, if you think about it. I mean, right, you know, about a year ago, and so a year and a half. Yeah. So what what drew you to Sugar? I mean, the company was like legendary. I'm living Cupertino, just to give you a kind of context, um, so I could walk to your offices if I need to. Um, and you know, when, when you so so, what drew you to Sugar? So were you a customer or? No, I I wasn't. In fact, I'd competed against Sugar probably exactly. 10 years ago, and uh, I actually won um, at the time. But, you know, I'd, I'd finished my last CEO role, uh, and the, the role of Sugar was was up for grabs. So I was evaluating that versus a, a multitude of others. But I have spent sort of 30 years directly and indirectly associated with CRM from very early contact management systems through uh, clientele, which Ray, I know you would know from yep, the, yep, yep. the very old Epicor days, a great product in its time. Uh, I then was CEO of uh, Abila, which is you know, CRM for association management. Uh, and my last three roles, I've actually been a user of our biggest competitor in the space. Um, I won't mention the name, but the gorilla in the space. And you know, I, I must admit my, my view of CRM has been that there's, there have been these historic fundamental flaws in every CRM system I've been involved in. And I used to come home to my wife and just say, it's so frustrating, the things that I can't get done. And, you know, numerous different flaws. But one of the biggest ones that used to just frustrate me no end was the lack of time awareness in CRM applications. And it's, it's been a, an Achilles heel of CRM forever. And most CRM systems are great at telling you the state of the nation right this second but they don't provide any sort of, you know, historical view. So, you know, when I was evaluating Sugar versus some other opportunities, I went and spent time with Rich Green and the, the CTO and the, and the product team. And, and you know, I, I sort of said to them, look, you know, I, I've got a view of CRM. What are you guys working on? What's the future? What's the vision? And I must admit it was incredibly exciting. It was like light bulbs going off, all the different things they were mentioning. And they were really solving a lot of these um, historic issues, particularly around the time awareness piece and, and some other areas as well. So I got excited. I mean, I got really excited. Don't tell my bosses, but I probably would have stepped up and done the role <laughs> for nothing at that point in time. Um, so, I, you know, my, our mission is, is is for sugar to right the wrongs of decades of, uh, of CRM systems. So very exciting times. That's incredible. Um, I don't normally wear a suit and tie for Disrupt TV, but a couple of hours ago I delivered the closing keynote at the first government-sponsored AI summit in India called Raise 2020, where the Prime Minister uh, Modi, uh, you know, launched the event. And uh, the entire week, uh, there was hundreds of speakers representing government, business, technology leaders, talking about the importance of artificial intelligence and how it will significantly shape the future. And, uh, you know, you just had a significant acquisition in the AI space. Can you share your vision in terms of the importance of artificial intelligence in the CRM space, and then specifically talk about your uh, recent acquisition. Yeah, look, it, it's interesting. I mean, we, we have lots of businesses, as you can imagine, come across our desk, and, and they all surprisingly look really good on paper. And we, uh, we had this uh, node acquisition come across, and it, it was an area of the business which we'd been working on. So we announced last year, mid last year, our Time Aware um, CX vision. And, and to date, we've been able to, like a DVR, rewind history, 
pick up anomalies and correlations and, and, and predict what's going to happen. But the future piece was sort of the missing piece, giving our customers that crystal ball. Mm-hmm. So when Node came across the desk, we looked at it and said, well, if these guys can actually do what they say they can do, this is a pretty exciting um, uh, opportunity. So we're trying to figure out how do we test them? What we ended up doing is, and quite unfair, but we gave them our um, internal CRM data from six months ago and said, tell us what's going to happen. <laughs> wow. Right? That's a good test. That's a good test. Tell us the future. Tell us the future. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we called it internally the ultimate no challenge. And <laughs> um, we gave them the grand total of 24 hours. They had no knowledge of the sugar data set. And we agreed three different use cases. One was propensity for a marketing qualified lead to become sales qualified, a sales qualified lead to be one. And then the, the other one, which they were very well known for, was the likelihood of customers attriting. And they came back in 24 hours. We obviously had the ability to go through and audit the results because we knew what happened. And it was astounding, absolutely astounding. So we had predictability rates in the high 80s and early 90s across all three of those particular use cases. So at that point in time, I sat up straight and said, this is the missing piece of the puzzle. You know, the ability to provide that that future um, predictability for business, is it's, it's absolutely paramount. And what was very different about Node, and, and you guys would know this, but one of the fundamental flaws in CRM systems is the data is typically not 100% accurate, but it's very, very lacking in terms of completeness. What, what Node brings is this deep learning capability, but combined with this externally curated data to really complement and supplement the, the you know, incomplete CRM data. And that's how they manage to get these ridiculously high levels of prediction mm. with, without even knowing, um, without even knowing um, CRM. So, you know, I've been, every company I've run, I keep saying to my people, performance is important, but predictability is almost important. You know, it's the companies that get both of those things right that are, are you know, an order of magnitude in terms of shareholder value versus those who just get performance right. So the, the, the ability to be able to provide answers to questions that customers are asking, like the questions I used to ask yeah. and was frustrated I couldn't get answers to, but also providing answers to questions they haven't asked, you know, correlation yeah. predictions deep in the data that they haven't actually asked about. And then, uh, you know, importantly, providing a view of the future is one thing, then be able to guide them in terms of, and based on this, you should do X. So it's right. that next best action. It's the predictive selling. It's the guided selling. You know, we, we firmly believe this is going to give our customers uh, an unfair advantage over their competitors. And, and I can tell you, nothing makes me more excited than that. <laughs> no, we're definitely seeing these shifts in the market in terms of what customers are looking for. We're definitely seeing some shifts in terms of the level of AI and automation that's out there. Um, and, and customers are definitely thinking, hey, what, what can I do, right? You know, what can sales and marketing get a boost from AI? Um, and, you know, what, what do you think are some of the biggest spots that uh, customers are going to start with? Well, we got, we got a shopping list. I mean, fortunately, um, Node's been around for six years, so it's a proven, powerful, cloud-based deep learning model with this combination of the externally curated data as well as using your own in, in, internal system data. So the, the models that they built have just shown an incredible level of predictability. We've looked at it and said, well, what are the most compelling areas? Obviously, um, you know, ICP-type uh, questions and, and identifying potentially segments that you're not currently focusing on that have a higher propensity to buy. Obviously giving, you know, really accurate lead scoring algorithms as well as forecasting algorithms and 
you know, customer attrition models and, and, and forecasting trending models. So we're working on all of these now in, in conjunction with some early stage customers. And, and the beauty, as I said, is Node's done this before. So we, we bought a, a, a yep. proven company and it enables us to really focus on the most compelling opportunities, the ones that are going to give our, our customers, you know, the, the most bang for their buck. And sometimes it's not um, predicting the, the opportunities that will close. It's predicting the opportunities that won't close. And interestingly, in the model that we gave to Node, they had a prediction accuracy of 91% of the deals that we should stop wasting our time on. And that, wow. if, you can, if you can, I know, 91%. Certainly wasn't expecting that. And so to be able to do that and stop wasting time on all of, all of this noise and be able to double down on the opportunities where we had a really good fit and there was a higher propensity to buy, I mean, that's just, that's gold in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I always judge, uh, you know, a company's digital transformation journey in terms of their data maturity uh, model, it, it, going from descriptive to diagnostic to predictive to ultimately prescriptive use of analytics where once you have a prediction, you create workflows where you are prescribing to your sales services, commerce, marketing, what they should be doing now in real time to make those forecasts come to fruition, like sales forecasting or scoring leads to opportunities to close one business. So I think it's incredibly important to have that maturity to, to, to go all the way to prescriptive and then measuring service level conformance to whatever prescribed actions are, are governing your, your workforce. Take us to the future of CRM. What, what does CRM look like five years from now? Three, five, I, 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 don't, I won't ask for more than that because it's hard to, it's hard to be a futurist. Uh, but you know, give, given the fusion of machine learning, digital assistance powered by NLP and voice, um, you know, what does a CRM experience feel like five years from now uh, and how do you compete against, like you said, some of the giants that are there? I happen to work for one of them. <laughs> how do you, how do you, well, you know, how do you set yourself apart in this highly competitive space? So, so um, one of the things you're going to be hearing a lot more about from Sugar is this concept of high definition CX, because mm -hmm. the unfortunate reality is most companies have a decidedly low fidelity view of their customers, of their business of their, their marketplaces. And, and we believe, you know, the combination of, of Sugar and Node, as well as our underlying differentiated pillars, enable us to deliver a, an incredibly high definition, high resolution picture of customers. And, and, and now more than ever, that's incredibly important. So what underpins our high definition CX are four main pillars that we've been, you know, talking about. The, the Time Aware CX platform, which I've already spoken about, no touch information management, and the, the, one of the banes of, of existence in terms of CRM applications, if you're in the marketing team, you either use it or you're fired. If you're in the service team, you either use it in, or you're fired. In Salesforce automation, salespeople are cunning. They're very, very smart. If you don't deliver value that is far more, um, you know, far higher than the effort that's required, they'll just stop using the application. And, and it's the bane of, of, you know, every CRM vendor is how do we get that adoption? So, you know, we, we have this concept of data entry as a last resort. We want to be providing um, salespeople with maximum amount of benefit for virtually no effort. And because they are smart, then they embrace the system. Sure. That as well as the, the pace at which we're innovating. And we made a decision a few years back to literally attach our little red wagon to AWS and not just host in AWS, which a lot of our competitors do, we fundamentally use every part of the platform really, really do. I mean, we use 36 
different individual services. And, and I, you know, I don't want to call it this, but it's the boring stuff that customers want to know exists. But all they care about is CX innovation. So our ability to to, to innovate far, far more quickly because we're not worried about the scalability and the performance and the search and all of these other things where we can use a, an amazing partner um, like AWS. That combined, you know, Sugar's always been the much loved CX vendor. You look at um, Forbes Most Trusted, you look at softwareevaluation.com, you look at the G2 crowd, Sugar's always up in the up in the far right, and the mega vendors are always the sort of despised ones. Unfortunately for you, um, so we usually so we usually we usually spend a lot of time trying to think about where that future can take us, right? And when we think about you know um, what where clients are headed, um, what customers are are trying to do with CRM, what couldn't they do five years ago in CRM that they can do today? Let's let's think about it from that perspective, uh, because this show is really not about you know it's really not about the companies themselves that are yeah. you know out there. It's really about what we can do to help our customers. So so for me, the things I mean, I look back in my roles and the areas of frustration that I had that I couldn't get answers to, like you know simple things like give me the predictability of a salesperson, <laughs> and everyone focuses on performance of a salesperson. That's important, but you need to have a time aware view because. Some salespeople are sandbaggers and some people have happy years and some are incredibly erratic and some really know their business. And, and I would never people, forecast if I was a sales guy <laughs> until like I had the deal. Like, would you? I mean, <laughs> well, you have to, right? Well, you don't have a job. I mean, that's the problem, right? So you I know, know, I know. some of those things, they require this time aware CX piece. And it's something that, that has just historically been missing from all CRM applications that I've seen. So that gives us the fuel to drive the AI engine to give us unprecedented level of predictability. And if you've got that predictability, you can change course very quickly. And, and if, you, if you have insight into what's going to happen in terms of bankable predictions, you can change course. And ultimately, when the, the pace of business is just so frenetic, being able to change course quicker than your competitors, being able to mm -hmm. highlight issues that you can remediate far more quickly, being able to highlight opportunities that you can take advantage of before someone else does. I mean, that in in essence for me, that crystal ball is is something that I've always wanted. And I think it's becoming a reality. And and it's gonna and the pace at which that's gonna become more of a reality, I think is pretty exciting for businesses. You're right. You're, we're gonna hear a lot about that, this notion of decision velocity, right? Yeah. Where machines can make decisions 100 times per second and humans can make one per second maybe, and then it's gonna take them four weeks to get past management community. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's massive asymmetry, right? In terms of getting to those decisions and getting yeah. to the predictions, so. Yeah, uh, this is my uh, final question. Uh, you know, since the pandemic, since the beginning of this calendar year, uh, what is your observation in terms of which line of business, sales, service, marketing, commerce, IT, who is, uh, you know, on the forefront of uh, CRM adoption, CRM advocacy, you know, which persona in business is really, uh, you know, betting their company's future on, you know, advanced capabilities and, 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 and uh, value that they can get from a CRM platform? It's a difficult um, trade-off, really. I, I think, um, I mean, in the, in the current climate with, you know, COVID just causing, you know, so much disruption across the globe yeah. in terms of business models, I think it impacts everyone. I mean, from a marketing perspective, there's a dearth of opportunities out there. How do you find opportunities in places 
that you couldn't previously. I, you know, I think that's where AI has a really, really big impact from a, a salesperson's perspective, providing that prescriptive or guided um, selling. You know, a, a couple of people have, have said to me, um, not, not from Sugar, but externally said, you picked a bad time to pick to, to buy a predictability engine <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> and, 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 but the interesting thing is- the best time to do reset. <laughs> it, it's, it's actually the opposite because yes, the first couple of weeks of COVID, we couldn't have predicted what happened. A sure. month in, when you've got um, you know uh, iterating models that are constantly iterating, right. two weeks can actually provide a, a treasure trove of information to help sure. you help predict what you're going to do through the remainder of COVID and hopefully as we accelerate out of COVID. So it, for me, it's, it's the absolute um, best time yeah. to be buying a tool like this, albeit you know history doesn't look like it does today. The last couple of weeks of history certainly do. So you know it can it can really help guide and and uh, and advise people. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. We're here with Craig Charlton, CEO of Sugar CRM. Always passionate. Always, <laughs> it's always a CRM supporter down the line. So thank you so much for being on the show. Have a thank wonderful you, weekend. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun. You're terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I love CRM, world of CRM. Uh, it's our, this is, this is what we, Ray and I call up the, call the cleanup hitter spot where, you know, we bring the best and brightest and, and, and anticipate a grand slam. And it's our privilege to have Daphne E. Jones, independent board member, executive coach, and keynote speaker as our final guest. Uh, Daphne is an accomplished and seasoned executive with extensive experience using digital technologies, uh, strategically, uh, entrepreneurially and globally within multiple multinational corporations. Daphne has over 30 years of experience. She started when she was five in general, <laughs> in general management, executive level roles at IBM, Johnson and Johnson, you know, these small companies, uh, small companies, yeah. I've never heard of them. So Hus okay. yeah, Hospira, <laughs> which is now Pfizer and, and GE general electric during her tenure at GE, Daphne served as senior vice president of future of work. Now, CEO Vice President and CEO, CIO for Product Engineering, uh, Imagining and Ultra, Imaging and Ultrasound, and as Senior Executive and CIO for Global Services. All of these comprise a $13 billion segment within GE's healthcare. Wow. Uh, Daphne served on the board of directors, uh, serves on multiple board of directors, and is regarded as an authority on preparing and marketing for corporate board services. Daphne was named one of Illinois' most powerful and influential women by the National Diversity Council and premier 100 CIO for Computer World. You can follow Daphne on Twitter at, at D-A-P-H-N-E, then capital E, Jones, G-O-N-E-S. Welcome, Daphne. J-O-N-E-S, <laughs> yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hi. Welcome. Okay. Thank you so Welcome. much. It's my privilege to be here. Thank you. Oh, no, no. It's ours to host you here. It's awesome to have you here. Um, we're talking about uh, our first topic is really talking about diversity on boards. And as you know, I'm in the state of California and in California, we've actually passed a law um, starting next year that, you know, boards have to have different rep racial representation in terms of diversity as well as some other factors. And uh, it's picking up, uh, you see, in different areas. But but why is it so important? Like what we're trying to accomplish with diversity in boards? You've sat there on at the board level trying to understand the different issues representing the different stakeholders and shareholders. Um, what's driving this? Yeah, that's a, a wonderful question. I get asked that uh, from time to time. And uh, I look at it that diversity on boards helps solve what I'll call the mystery of the market. 
providing perspective and relevance. If you remember that movie uh, with Dennis Quaid and Forrest Whitaker, it's called The Vantage Point. And it was about an assassination attempt on a U.S. president and, and was seen from various vantage points of different people, right? And every person or each person saw something different and they all probably believed that their vantage point was the right vantage point, but it took all of them coming, sort of coming together, if you will, for the FBI and the Secret Service to be able to solve the mystery of who actually did it. So to me, diversity in the boards is sort of like that. The market is out there. Uh, current customers are out there. Potential customers are out there. New solutions, ideas are out there. And because this, the, the ideas and the issues are so much more diverse today than they were before, if you don't take advantage of the various vantage points of the different talent that's out there on boards, then you will not be able to solve the mystery of how do you drive accelerated growth? How do you drive customer loyalty? How do you drive higher share? And so cybersecurity, innovation, uh, companies are worried about, are they gonna trip their debt covenant? Uh, social injustice, climate change, innovation, you name it. being, Being a homogeneous board is not gonna be a competitive advantage anymore. And those folks that have the right and relevant skills, Ray, are going to help the companies sift through the information with the insights and, and to drive success. So as a board member, I help set the strategy. I help drive you know, capital allocation. Uh, we approve the, the um, compensation architecture. And I really believe that if you have a diverse board and if you believe in the things that we just talked about, diverse issues require you know, more diversity of thought, then you're gonna have a diverse leadership team. And then if you have a diverse leadership team, you'll likely will have a diverse company and then you win. And that's sort of what I think it's all about. Makes total sense. Daphne, I was looking at your Twitter feed and you had this awesome video sharing your experience where a group of people from a vendor, I'm assuming, come to your offices (laughs) and they're waiting and you say, how can I help you? And they're, well, we're here to meet with the CIO and the technology leader. And you're like, well, hi, that's me, hello. And I guess there was an element of surprise because for whatever reason, they didn't anticipate that you would be the CIO and head of technology. Talk to us about, you know, the struggles of, you know, the biases or the blind spots that we have when we sometimes typecast and not recognize the importance of diversity inclusion, which you lived through. Uh, You know, that was a very powerful story, a personal story that you shared on Twitter. Yeah, it's a great question. And then I wish it only started then when I was <laughs> at SBB. Uh, you know, I was told by my high school counselor, you know, I was doing pretty good in school. I thought I was pretty smart. My husband calls me a smart aleck, but I don't think I thought I was smarter than, than that. And, you know, they, they told me the high school counselor, I said to him, I'd like to go to college. What do I have to work on? How do I go about doing that? And he says, Daphne, you're a black girl. Black girls don't go to college. They go and become secretary. Oh my God, really? And that's exactly oh. what happened. Yeah, I actually went to uh, secretarial college, which lasted about four weeks. And um, I became a secretary at Women's Day Magazine. Now, I, I obviously didn't stay there <laughs> um, because, you know, after a certain, a lot of mistakes I made and what have you, I said, you know what? I shouldn't be a secretary, I should have a secretary. And so it's about having a vision for yourself for the future. And it's about understanding that, and I had to learn this, that it's not a personal thing. You gotta look at it as a business problem. 
And if you look at things as a business problem, then you kind of see through it. I was a black woman in STEM, right? Which is primarily a white dominated, male dominated uh, industry, if you will. And I had to live through that, but you get through that by being the best, you know, being the goat, the greatest of all time and whatever you, whatever you set yourself out to do. But it's also about um, your image and it's your exposure. So who knows you, who do you know, who do you, look at as a mentor, as a role model, or as a sponsor. And when they when people get to know you as an individual, I think they get to see that there's more to the story than what you bring in terms of your, your physical dimension. So I, I, looking at things as a, as a business issue, not a personal issue, and then performing really well, but also understanding who you need to surround yourself with from a leadership standpoint to be known and recognized. That's true. Ray, do, hey, do, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, let's go deep on what's happening in boards, right? This is one of the biggest challenges we face, you know, especially advising companies, their their leaders, is really understanding digital inside boards. It's as if the boardroom is like antiquated, right? In almost almost every one of the Fortune 500s, they can't think digital monetization. They don't understand digital business strategies. And how are you helping them do that? Because this is one of the biggest concerns for companies as they're aging out. Yeah, I think, well, first I'm a member of something, a group called the Digital Directors Network, and we are looking to drive more digital directors in the boardroom. And just having one is Good great. Bob Zukas. Bob Zukas is yeah, everywhere. Bob, Bob is my <laughs> guy. Yes, Bob Zukas. So I'm one of the founding members of DDN. And so yeah. um, we're, we're really trying to turn this around and drive it. And it's not just having one or having two. If we could have three, that would be great. But I think companies, uh, when you look at the crisis with the, with the COVID, um, things like e-commerce, e-commerce grew 10 years in just three months. The trajectory for e-commerce was on a linear slope, yep, but yep, then all of a yep. sudden in uh, February, it went like this straight up, right? Mm -hmm. And so companies are realizing that without digital, they're not going to win or survive. So I, I first, it starts with the digital mindset. If you have a digital mindset, um, and and the companies are really striving to do that. And, and cyber is the other part that they are recognizing that uh, digital is really uh, offense and you also got to play defense, right? Mm -hmm. So with cyber, you're certainly playing defense. And even with cyber, you can play offense by making sure that the products that you sell and distribute, you know, are have not been tampered with and whatnot. But still, that's the only way to play offense without going to jail. But yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, counterfeit stuff. I mean, there's things that happen that if you could play a good offensive game with, with technology, you'll be good. And so we, our goal, my goal is to help my companies look at uh, digital, but they, but people say, well, who really drove digital transformation in your company? Was it the CIO? No. The CEO? No. It was no. COVID. And COVID. it's yep. COVID that allows, it's, it's a great accelerator and a force multiplier all in one. And uh, because of that, companies are more open and more willing to learn. You'll see more technology committees being formed on boards for those that really want to do a deeper dive and help the CIO and the CISO uh, figure things out. But digital is really taking a front and center. One of my boards is having a digital class um, in, in a couple of weeks where all the board is going to come together and we've got a senior executive from another company who's going to spend about an hour and a half just talking about digital. And it's going to take all kinds of forms. But as long as a company says, my mindset is going to be, I want to have a digital mindset. I want to get an agile business model. 
um, I think they'll get there. They just have to have that open mindset to do that. Sure, sure. That's great. That's sage advice. And uh, congratulations on bringing the digital IQ levels higher <laughs> on boards. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's true. We need it. Um, I want to go back to a previous statement you made, uh, and you made it very casually, but it caught my my attention in terms of you made a distinction between mentors and sponsors, or at least you mentioned both. Yeah. And we had uh, Whitney Johnson, who's a Thinker's 50 Top 10, one of the top renowned management gurus in the world, uh, author of Disrupt Yourself and How to Build an A-Team. And when she was on our show, she made a strong uh, suggestion that in terms of your career trajectory, sponsors are even more important than mentors because they put their political and social capital on the line. Typically, they're higher in the proverbial organizational ladder. So they're really picking you up and lifting you up towards hopefully cultivating a culture that celebrates diversity and inclusion. Can you talk about and give advice to business leaders the importance of being a sponsor? Yeah. Well, if you, if you go back to my example about uh, the high school experience, I had this man speak yeah. into my life. And so that's really what mentors and sponsors do, either through their words or through their actions. They speak into your life. And, and I really start with role models. You know, I look at Harriet Tubman as my role model. I look at Elon Musk as my role model because of their bravery, their courage, their, you know, that they were willing to take risks. They were innovative uh, in how they solved problems or are and did. Uh, Elon is still around and, and Harriet's not. But, uh, <laughs> the role models is where you start for me. And, and I, you know, and I think companies, you know, have them. And then you go into the mentorship and the mentor is the one that says, um, shine the light on that, that pothole. So don't step there. This is what time the eight o'clock meeting really starts. You know, mm -hmm. this is how you're being perceived. So they're kind of coaching you and shining the light. And then that sponsorship though, for people of color, you know, women and people of color, especially live through this imposter syndrome. Oh, I'm a woman, even though I went to MIT, you know, I, I really must not belong here because no one's asking me anything. No one's helping me with anything. And so you mm. believe that you're an imposter or an, as an African-American, oh, well, I'm black and they didn't have to hire me. So I guess I should just be quiet and be grateful. And so sponsors need to recognize that there's intellectual capital, there's creative capital that is sitting at their tables. And so just having diversity alone is great, but it's not, it's necessary, but not sufficient. It's the inclusion and say, I want to develop this creative capital. I want to develop this intellectual capital because I know that if I don't, you know, our solutions that we create will be just a couple eggs short of a dozen, right? It, it, we won't have a full holistic solution that can solve the world's problem. So I think companies need to recognize and, and see beyond you know, again, exterior and don't don't have these assumptions about where people are or where they've come from. Uh, take a minute to ask questions about what the person's aspirations are and their backgrounds and and things like that. And you'll be surprised how they will be really eager to to take on a sponsor who can help guide them and show them the way and shine the light on them. You know, well, who speaks for you when you're not in the room and when you're not on Zoom? Your sponsor mm -hmm. does. And if you're not known by anybody, you will never get selected for that new opportunity in Italy or, or whatever it happens to be. So very important. Great question. Definitely great. Great, great, great answer. Great answer. That actually is a great 
great point here because, you know, in the age of where we are right now, where you don't get to build those informal relationships, right? You can't, you know, catch up with people outside the, you know, outside the boardroom or in the hallways or just on the way to the airport or have those kind of in social right. things. Right. What are people right. doing and how do we take something like this crisis and turn it into a catalyst? Um, and how do we take advantage of the opportunities to connect and meet people uh, at the human level? Yeah, I think um, about crisis. I mean, it's like when your family member has a heart attack because they weren't eating right, or uh, you know, your wife is going to leave you because you've been neglected. Or you know, sometimes this crisis that you're in, whether it's personal or professional, um, it it serves as something that says, "I'm either going to hold my head in my hands, or I'm going to put my head in the sand, um, or I'm going to pretend that you know it's it's all going to be okay." Um, we have to develop that muscle to say that when this something happens, I'm going to use that opportunity to reimagine um, what's possible. You think of the Starbucks crisis, uh, the CEO kind of helped make that better with the racial issue with those two guys that were in, the, in their restaurant or in their store, mm -hmm. um, United uh, Airlines crisis. I mean, there's so many crises. So whether it's a pandemic that everybody suffers through or an individual company or person, we were always going to have them. So we got to develop that muscle. And I think it's an accelerator. So I think the first thing that if somebody has to do to use it is to make sure that we reflect, reflect on old paradigms, reflect on, on things that, you know, may have gotten us here, but may not take us further and see a new reality. And as, as information, as a, as a gift, so that we can reimagine a, a true North, like where do we think we need to go is what we used to know. Is that still valid? or is what we didn't know um, more important? And start to embrace embrace ignorance. Um, be okay not being the smartest person in the room. Be okay not understanding enough because it's in that curiosity that you will learn how to define what your true north is. And then you set your sights on that. And then once you set your true north, then you kind of get your organization to start saying, well, how are we going to design and, and look at things. I mean, companies have been forever changed by the Black Lives Matter, and they are starting to look at, they're asking, you know, Black board members like me or their, their Black team members in their companies, how should we be looking at our policies different? How should we be looking at our procurement? You know, are we procuring, uh, you know, uh, with the people? Should we be philanthropically giving to different organizations? Is our pipeline appropriate? Do we have enough people of color and women mm -hmm. and, and other people in the pipeline to be CEO. Um, because if you don't have CEOs, then how will they become board members or, or other leaders? So um, I think if you reflect on old paradigms, reimagine a, a new perspective, a new possibilities, and then begin to design a, a new approach that reshapes the conversation um, a little differently, I, I think it, it, it'll make a big difference. What Chase Bank is doing is nothing short of remarkable. Um, $30 billion over five years are going to be giving to try to close the wealth gap. Um, that's an example of having of reflecting on the current events and then reimagining a new use of capital um, to be able to do something that is for the greater good. That's great. Again, great. You're dropping so much nuggets of wisdom on us. That's amazing. Absolute grand slam for sure. Uh, so my last question to you, you know, as a hiring manager, I always placed, uh, you know, strong emphasis on a person's uh, rate of learning and good judgment, uh, which spoke to their trustworthiness and their integrity and character and competence. 
Um, you manage multi-billion dollar lines of business. You're senior executive of some of the biggest companies in the world. Give us advice. When you were recruiting talent, what were some of the skills that you looked for in order to strengthen your team and perhaps even succession plan and, and give yourself an opportunity to be a sponsor to this you know, new talent you were inviting to your team? Well, uh, I would say um, I, I believe that turkeys hire turkeys and tigers hire tigers. And you won't see a turkey hiring a tiger because that tiger will probably, you know, eat up the turkey, right? And so you, <laughs> you need to hire people who are smarter than yourself. I think it was Colin Powell. Somebody said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so what you want to hire yeah. is have people are that that can extend your own um, impact. You know, you by myself, I only know this much. But together with an amazing team, we know everything, right? So I think it's it's making sure that you hire tigers, and those tigers are 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 just ready to have certain characteristics about them. One is that they're curious. You know, there's that the book I read called The Head, Heart, and Guts. That kind of makes up the three. <laughs> you know, you want people who are smart, who are strategic, who can set goals and 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 look through uh, business plans and just just be really super smart. You also want people that that have the heart and the empathy that understands and cares about their fellow person. They're empathetic. They have good emotional intelligence, um, and and they really are there as a servant leader um, and not just as a leader. And then you want the people that have the guts. They challenge the status quo. They don't ask why, they ask why not, or they ask how, as opposed to, you know, this is impossible. They believe that impossible is just an opinion. It's not a fact. Um, so mm. I think those are the kinds of things. And of course, integrity kind of goes with heart um, and, and uh, having, you know, people who want to be curious and want to grow and uh, continue to go up that ladder of, you know, even though I did this, I know I can do more. And I know that if I do more, my company will 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 win in the marketplace. So those are the things I would look for um, in a person. Awesome. Awesome. This is awesome. awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much for all this awesome insight. We're here with Daphne Jones. You can check her out at D-A-P-H-E-E-J-O-N-E-S on Twitter. And more importantly, catch her with the Digital Directors Network. And please say hi to Bob Zukas for me. It's a wonderful organization trying to expand tech inside the boardrooms. And more importantly, you're trying to expand diversity inclusion inside boardrooms yeah. at the same time. You're on and a dual mission. I am, and I'm teaching. I am uh, starting a course that we hope to launch in January for um, technologists for women and for people of color. We're starting off there for those who have typically been underlooked or you know, overlooked or undervalued, uh, like I was with my with my high school counselor. We're gonna try to give oh an my advantage God, to your those. Counselor. We've got to go back and find where that person is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for building the Thank pipe. You, Daphne. One of the most important things you can do. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. So be well. So much. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Oh my God, we have flown through an hour. How did that happen? <laughs> Three extraordinary uh, business leaders uh, uh, and just good people, uh, you know, putting it as, as Job said, a dent in the universe. So we're so lucky, Ray. You know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, how much we express our gratitude every week on this show, but I'm reminded today that we're exposed and we have the opportunity to learn from some really extraordinary people. Uh, and this is why Friday is our favorite time of the week, especially this hour. And so uh, speaking of uh, this hour next week, 
And again, the theme of the best and brightest CEOs come on Disrupt TV. Next week, we have three CEOs. We have uh, Faisi Fatai, CEO of Corrent Technologies. He's a legend in Silicon Valley uh, for decades of advancing uh, you know, society with technology. Uh, Martin DeBeer, founder, CEO of Bright Plan. And Robert Rosenberg, who's the former CEO of Dunkin' Donuts, my, one of my favorite brands I'm that in, I visit I'm daily, <laughs> and, and author. So I'll definitely have my Dunkin' Donuts cup next week when uh, Robert's here. So three extraordinary CEOs. We had two extraordinary CEOs and a CEO coach on this week's show. Ray, closing remarks on episode, by the way, 209, and we just crossed 640 interviews in the last wow. four years, my friend. 640 interviews. <laughs> 640 interviews, awesome guests all across the board. You know, we have to thank our sponsor, Robots and Pencils, uh, really for uh, helping us build out and expand our show. And But more importantly, I think what we are seeing is, you know, people are starting to understand that it's time to go back to hope. Uh, what kind of hope? How do we actually get to the future? Uh, how do we make a better world? In some cases, we're going to augment that world. In some cases, we're going to actually do it through brute force, right? Just sure willpower, you know, of, of the humankind. So I think this is what's happening. And, uh, you know, we're going to hear more of these stories as we get into our conference. And uh, for those uh, watching, we're actually going to throw the ultimate conference. Uh, we're attempting to throw a very, very intimate event of 300 executives. Uh, it's all going to happen October 27th to 28th. And it's the uh, 10th annual Constellation Connected enterprise. Uh, what about you, Val? What's going on? What else? There's a lot of buzz about your conference. My Twitter feed is full of folks looking forward to your conference. It's your 10th annual event. Of course, the last nine at Half Moon Bay in person where magic happens with these random collisions that you create an environment uh, for. And the effort that your team is putting together to create uh, an extraordinary digital event I have people inviting me to your platform uh, so we can become more familiar with it before the event two weeks from now. And so <laughs> congratulations to you, my friend. You're, you're creating a buzz. There's a buzz about CCE 2020. So uh, I'm looking forward to participating and learning. And it's one of my favorite events of the year. So thank you for all the hard work. I know it's extraordinary hard work to put this event together. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll see everyone there. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everyone, for being on the show and being a listener. Thank you. Bye, everyone.